We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. Oh, mama. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. You guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can really get a podcast and find it. I mean, I put it post on a link tree after every episode. I'm your host this evening, Kami Amarabi, and I'm joined by, and you hear his voice all the time on the franchise, Chisholm Holland, and Chisholm's now joining us in a capacity at Crimson and Cream Machine. Man, Chisholm, we were supposed to be joined by two other guys. Yeah, and we found out last second it was just gonna be us, and that's cool. We're gonna be homies today. How are you doing, man? Doing good, brother. Doing good. Excited to uh, be a part of, uh, you know, obviously uh, a very successful website so far. Hoping to chip in a little bit here and there and have a have some fun on some podcasts. So yeah, pretty pumped. Yeah, and and rightfully so, right? Classes resume in eleven days. There are three weekends away from Oklahoma playing UTEP, which seems almost unreal these days. Uh, felt like a I feel like a just like a odd summer. Then like you had a big July recruiting, yeah. so like all kinds of news, and then we have big things to talk about. Specifically, obviously, Kale Gundy, Ladamian Washington stepping into that role. Then there's you know a Deadspin article that comes out, and then but you're ultimately going to see uh, what this team is going to be like really really soon. And so these are the kind of kind of be some of the things that we're going to be talking about. So let's get into it first. I'm not really going to get into the specifics about Kale and why he was, because that's what people just like, they just like doom scroll and hate scroll over Twitter. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not into it. Like what's done is done. I'm moving forward. Um, but Kale spent, I mean, Kale, Mike, the Gundy family, they're in Oklahoma. They're Oklahomans some mid Middell guys. Kale played quarterback at OU um, and spent a, like he was one of the three remaining guys uh, between Venables, Jerry Schmidt, and Kale that were left from uh, that original three crew that came back uh, came over ninety nine. Um, what would you say? Him resigning, stepping down, means for Oklahoma football, and maybe more specifically the wide receiver unit and recruiting. If you might even add that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a. Uh... This is like one of so I've talked about a lot of things over the course of, of my very short radio career, right? And, and I've actually you know touched on you know topics that kind of are in this vein, right? When you talk about uh, you know you know social justice and, and racism and, and things like that and hate speech and how, how that's incorporated, what and what is forgivable, not forgivable, where's the line? It's always moving, all that stuff. Dancer, I mean, talk about tons about it, right? Like it happens in sports, frankly, way more than it should. This is one of the more bizarre ones uh, that's been harder to kind of figure out because. Kale has such a long track record at a university, mm-hmm. obviously tons of success, um, lots of uh, stories of, you know, great recruitments and relationships with former players. And then so many former players and current players coming out and talking about Kale. And so on one hand, like what, it, like what is the, sh- the long short of it? This is exactly what should have happened. And like, this is the right answer. Like this is the outcome that should have, uh, should have, should have came after that situation. Uh, but, you also kind of want to be like, yeah, 28 years is a very long time at one place. And obviously a former player sticking around and a guy who, you know, frankly never was like fighting tooth and nail, playing the dirty game behind the scenes to move up the totem pole, like was just happy to be at OU. And so like, how do you kind of balance those two things? And so mm-hmm. on one hand, I'm, I'm not going to say pretend like I grew up, uh, you know, living or dying with OU football. That's just not, that's not who I am. Yep. Uh, but I do cover the team so I can acknowledge that how a fan base would see him as one of their own. As far as yeah. how to fix the team. And and this has, this has to be like more than a player thing. This is definitely university thing, uh, optics and everything else going into that. Yes. Oh, like why he's not there anymore. Yeah. I, 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 the one thing I I think I would a hundred percent disagree with, with a majority of the OU fans who are upset is like, how do you keep him? Right. So like, so even if you say like, Hey, like nobody in the locker room this year cares, right. Everybody kind of like knows the context or, Mm -hmm. or is willing to forgive or what, Okay, fine. Like, so it doesn't hurt 2022. Like, now Kale goes into anyone's home 
right, in Florida or Texas or in oh, no, Southern Oklahoma or whoever, right? What is the first thing a parent is going to see when they Google kill gun? The yeah. first thing. And so like that, like this isn't a, a an issue that can be solved with a one-year suspension. This isn't an issue that could be solved with time away from the team or, or whatever you like other – this is now a part of him. And what is Kale's number one thing he brings to the table? It's recruitment. And so, like, he still recruit, of course. But are there just honestly, like, doors that would just be closed? Yeah. Yeah, and so, like, 100%. He, he just couldn't perform his job. It's not like even if you think Kale's a bad guy, it has nothing to do with that, right? Like, this is – Kale just wouldn't be able to perform his primary duty on this OU coaching staff, which is recruiting. He, he would be at a major disadvantage. There's just no way for this to be tenable. And, and it's, that's why when people are like, oh, he's going to get hired at Oklahoma State or – Texas A&M mm-hmm. or whatever, I'm always like, yeah, maybe, but like he's gonna have the same problem there that he would have at OU. This is not like a OU situation. This is what does Kale bring to the table? Well, that has been hindered in a pretty major way because of his own actions, and so he just he puts himself in a tough spot. Yeah, and we, we talked pre pre pod about like how like it was it was like a 10:30 10:45 rando thing on a Sunday night, yeah. right? And like a series of tweets come out, you see from Gail, you see from Brent, and then um, you get a, a far more clearer picture, like you said uh, before we started podcasting, the next day or two, and you're like, okay, well, this is this tastes a little bit different uh, yeah. as far as far as like how I'm digesting all this information. I mean, guys, he's come guys that he's recruited. Of course, in uh, even in this class, uh, Jaquez Petaway uh, and Keon Brown, I think, have given like the go ahead that they're you know they're locked in. But I mean, everybody's locked in until they're not. I mean, rec- sure. recruitment never stops. And again, with Kale, uh, he gave so much service. So like, yeah, there's a lot of Oklahomans that really identify with him and really loved that he was still be able to be on staff and maybe have you know the good old boys still back together with with kale and venables still on opposite sides of the ball holding like a lot of weight and then with jerry schmidt being in the weight room uh, i think it would have been special for him but his replacement is ladamian washington uh yeah. he was he's a guy that oklahoma of course they ramped it up that was one thing that brent venables made sure to get in his contract was getting assistance getting those guys in the box uh, just like all those sec schools not like all the other good schools do um and ladamian washington who Played college ball at Mizzou. He played at a ton of teams in the. As NFL, Brett would say, as as, was it Missouri? What Was he say? Yeah, like Missouri, 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 Missouri. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah, Missouri, which was very funny. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, that that's a that like that, that that's like like Northeast Oki, Kansan thing feels oh, like yeah. if I think. But he, uh, yeah, he he played college ball in Missouri played with in four a lot of teams in the NFL and the CFL. I mean, he had, he has a lot of time there and, you know, in training camps and you have, you're retained by a roster on an active roster a year or two here or there. So he's bounced around, but knows what that kind of stuff, those avenues look like. Um, and then he's implementing his own tactics. He's not trying to replicate what Kale Gundy's doing. And a lot of people make that mistake by trying to be that same teacher that their guy was before, instead of using what your own expertise is. And so he also has guys like Matt Wells, who I think is so criminally underrated as a coaching analyst hire. People all, everybody wants to talk about Gary, about Gary Patterson in Texas. Nobody wants to talk about Matt Wells. That was actively like them making that Texas tech program actually a lot better at defense and more fundamental. Um, and now Matt Wells, like he cut his teeth being a passing game coordinator, uh, a, a wide receiver coordinator, coaching up tight ends, et cetera. And then they also have Nick Basquin out there to help him. With all that said, how big is having Matt Wells on staff right now, in your opinion, Chisholm? And then as far as like all this is happening, there's no way in hell you're going to find a quality wide receiver coach in three weeks. And so they really had no other option. And so what kind of predicament does that kind of put you in? I guess as a wide receiver, if you put your, you know, if you put your feet in their shoes. Yeah. I, Matt Wells is huge. Um, obviously, you know, whenever Matt Wells got hired at Oklahoma as an analyst, you know, this was a little bit of that same conversation of what you were just talking about, the number of staff. 
uh, is like, this is things SEC schools do, right? It's like, we're going to go pay former head coaches an exorbitant amount of money just to be around and, and, you know, break glass in case of emergency kind of a situation. Matt Will is obviously a native Oklahoman helps. Um, you know, I'm sure he was, he was actually pretty publicly interested in living in the state of Oklahoma. So I'm sure he's happy about that opportunity, but yeah, it's a, it's a big deal to have this guy who has as much experience and success. I mean, Wells is a heck of a coach at Utah state, really, mm-hmm. really great coach. And the Texas tech thing is just, you know, patience is short at, at power five schools. And so it just seemed like he got the better room. Um, but yeah, I mean, so like the, the, uh, the Washington thing, um, LaDamian Washington, I don't know anything about him. I'm not gonna here pretend like I did. And Brent, I don't, I don't think really anybody does. Yeah, Brent, Brent did act like didn't he? Acted yeah. like he didn't know a ton about him either last night. Uh, here's what I can tell you though: is like his baseball card, right? He is a younger coach. He is a guy who played in the NFL, the CFL, and the AFL. So he's been around, right? He's been through mm-hmm. the grinder a little bit of football. He played at a Power Five program, uh, and at least just in the couple of practices that we've gotten to see, ton of energy. And so like. That's like the baseball card of what a successful position coach would look like in 2022. Is he going to stink? Maybe he could be, he could be abysmal, but at least just like in like the, the stats that would check into a box of like, this guy has potential as a, as a long-term wide receiver coach answer makes sense. And you're right. Mm. Like who are the wide receiver coaches that you can go out there and hire? Obviously you're not pulling one from another program. So it's gotta be someone who's unemployed. If they're yeah, unemployed that's on their couch right now, if they're unemployed and they're a wide receivers coach, there's a lot of schools that coach football, you know? And so like that, that's not a great sign. And so, yeah, I mean, I think this makes the most sense, especially with the staff that you're mentioning with Basquin and uh, with Matt Wells back there as well. But as far as like, uh, as a player, I, I don't want to undersell it, but I think the season and the impact of this change is next to nothing. I, I don't want to like totally like belittle everything, but like, He's a wide receivers coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, his job is going to be to coach a scheme that he's been a part of now for a few months. But at the end of the day, like this is Jeff Levy's offense. And yeah. like Jeff Levy is going to be incredibly involved in every single uh, part of this. So what is uh, what is Washington's role to teach, you know, uh, to teach skill, to teach fundamentals, to teach that kind of stuff? As far as like learning the offense, like Levy's still going to be a, a giant part of that, just like Matt Wells will. So I don't think it actually matters that much. Like if Marvin Mims drops a 30 yard touchdown to win a game, is that because Kel Gunny is in a sideline or LaDainian Washington is no, you know, like mm-hmm. any impact that could have been had is frankly a little bit in the past for me. So I think this timing while inconvenient, it's, it's not that bad. Like uh, Washington is going to have an opportunity to lock up this job, maybe potentially long-term, but I don't see him like costing them on the field. I don't see him costing them in practice. Like he can't, like he would have to be really terrible. Like to screw these guys up in such a major way. And I I also just think just in general with the offense that they're running, it is so simplified, so simplistic as far yeah. as just like, hey, we're playing one-on-one football and at each position, just go out in some space and make and make a play. That's basically what they're asking their guys to do. And the route tree is very short, small, uh, not very, not, not very, not very many routes being ran. Um, so it's not like that it's a big blow to how much they have to coach. But I just think there's this feeling, this feeling of Gundy and how integral he was into a program. And he had just mentioned the other day, like, Oh, it's the most organized it's been and having 30 years and all that other jazz. And that he, that he said, um, and then like I, we did it. And then I did a podcast with Steven. I was like, Hey man, we made it through summer. Knock on wood. Nothing happens bad. And then like three days like, later, you, you know, you. it was, was us. You. It was, was us. all you. It was me. It was me. Actually, actually was me. Yeah. Um, hey, I just, and, it's your point, by the way, I just quickly, cause I do think that's a, that's an important thing for Washington. He's not teaching like the most complex offense that's ever existed. Mm-hmm. Right. But he like what, what makes Levy's offense tough, which it is tough to run. What makes it hard to run is the tempo. Well, teaching someone teaching someone tempo, right, and to think clearly while they're tired and how to read a defense in a hurry, like that stuff is a little bit easier than like a, an offense that has 15 checks at the line, right? And and the route tree is constantly on these option routes of like, well, if he's here, you break this way; if he's there, you break this way. You know, the you know the flood coverage can go, like it can get a lot more complicated. Levy's not doing that to them, so like Washington has an advantage here of che- teaching an offense that is simple, so therefore making it easy to teach, but just quick. And, and so like I don't want to belittle the offense and make it sound like it's easy to run. It's hard oh, yeah. to be that fast. Yeah. And so as far as wide receiver play chemistry, knowing where they should be at on the field, because knowing where you should be at in the field, that's kind of, that's a wide receiver coach thing. That's also a levy thing. That's kind of like where they work in tandem with each other. Um, 
how important is Dylan Gabriel now in, in that role? Because Dylan Gabriel having a quarterback that's already run this style of offense, this kind of up tempo offense, and just in general, the, the plays that are going to be ran, having him being able to direct traffic on the field, especially as we know, Jeff Levy is indeed a box coordinator. We've said it on the podcast a couple times before. How significant is that just to develop that chemistry and also get the wide receivers in the right place too, as well as having a coach is like almost like an extension of Levy on the field. Like how much more though, do you think that helps out? Is it a little, is it a lot? Is it a, uh... I mean, I think it is a lot. Um, and, And the other thing too, is we all are excited about some of the young guys, but if you really, you know, young guys in the wide receiver room, but like Marvin Mims, three years on campus, the mm-hmm. four years on campus, right? These, the two transfers, you know, Buckley Shelton played for two years at Arizona state, like, and Drake Stoops, who might as well be a 55 year old man upstairs. Like they played a ton of football. And so like, if you're going to pick a room, like this isn't a few years ago, whenever it was like, you know, Jaden Hazelwood is a sophomore who played in the slot as a freshman. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to throw three a week, Theo Weiss out there as a true freshman. And we're going to try to work in Trajan bridges when he comes back from it. And it was going to be all of these guys who had played next to no snaps. Like that's not what this, that's not what this team is going to be. Uh, so they got a lot of experience. They got a quarterback who knows the system, you know, incredibly well. So like, yeah, I, I think between Dylan Gabriel's experience and uh, you know, the age of this wide receiver room, I think it's a massive advantage. And again, I, I think it is something that's going to help any transition uh, whenever you're talking about changing an offense from one to another. Um, and it's probably made this process a lot more simple. So yeah, like back to Dylan's out there and he knows exactly where everybody should be. Cause he's been doing it for three years. Yeah. I, I think that's a big deal. God, it is so important that he stays healthy. Oh yeah. Like, Oh that's my a, gosh. That's what I, uh, that's what, that's what, that was my uh, big thing yesterday uh, on the air is like, you know, Andrew rain came out and said, this is this offensive line looks totally different. We're monsters. Mm-hmm. We're animals. Okay, we'll see. But if you're going to say, like, what one position group, if they reach their ceiling, would add the most to this team? Oh, it's the offensive line by a mile because Dylan Gabriel could stay upright and healthy and and play clean all year. Like, it's not about the offensive line necessarily. It's about the fact that the Big 12 has so many pass rushers. And if Gabriel is the only quarterback in the conference who isn't hurried, right, or or getting hit a lot, then that's major, 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 major. Yeah, Gabriel staying healthy is, uh, is a really big deal. I love watching footage of Gabriel and Davis Bevels throwing and standing <laughs> side by side because we all know, I mean, Dylan Gabriel's listed at 5'11". He is not 5'11". Yeah, it's but like the Davis, Kyler Murray thing all over again. Davis yeah. Bevel is all 6'6 of that. It is, it is comical. Uh, yeah. like how the ball comes out of their arm and like the whip motion they both make and just like, like it's, it's just funny. It's incredible. Anyways, then you have most recently came out and resurfacing, obviously dead spin and like dead spin is like, they used to be like, they used to be okay. Like like they used to be like do fun stuff, right? Like fun yeah. stuff, right? Break like random dumb stuff. I can remember in high school, the, the first article I ever read at Deadspin where I was like, oh, I need to like read this site more is they were doing college receivers as Pokemon. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm into this. Like this is not anything I would read anywhere else. Like that was prime Deadspin, right? It was like the sports aligning with the comedy element of things. Yeah, okay. and and like that 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 was their deals. Like they're like the onion almost sometimes yeah. of college sports, and then sometimes they had more serious things. But oh. other uh, but other times, for the most part, it was like not serious. And then you have the guy posting an article, um, inciting a common Texas Twitter troll as basically like a smoking gun, saying that this person that Kale Gundy took an iPad from was Drake Stoops. Uh, he was dragged all over social media by not just like Oklahoma fans from what I saw, uh, but from several different, like even like journalists, uh, he doubled down and got dragged even more and then deleted that. I, I cannot believe like when I saw that an entire article came, came out, like I could not believe, did you even read it? Did you spend time even reading that? I did. Um, I did read it. Uh, so I, I have this like opinion that I think national coverage is incredibly important in college football programs because people like me, all I do is sit around and think about OU football. All I talk mm-hmm. to is OU football people. All I, uh, you know, when I get, what am I getting information from? Oh, OU, the OU football team. 
Like that is like super funneled. And so national perspective every so often, I think is an incredibly valuable thing to maybe reset you a little bit of where you actually are. So I read the article. I obviously saw pushback initially and I thought, well, is this like a national website coming in from over the top and maybe Mm -hmm. being harsh, but fair, you know, like maybe they went a little bit further than a lot of people locally, but nothing they're saying. They just were blatantly not true. Right. And like, that's a whole different animal. It's a whole different animal. And so I actually went into it expecting to like, oh God, am I going to be the guy who defends the dead spin article? And I was like, oh no, there's no defending this. There's absolutely no way that that, that that should have gotten published. Like, there's just no planet. I, 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 I big text, as Deadspin, let's I go through. I text Jack, I think. I, I was like, how did that not make it through? Like, how did that story get submitted and not make it through any sort of editor and be like, you might have to rethink that, Chief. Like, I, how does that How yeah. does that happen? They couldn't even link to the tweet because it had gotten deleted. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's incredible. you couldn't even source it with the, un, the unreliable source. That was the kicker for me. Is like all through that article, they had like links to the tweets that they were referencing. And then that tweet, they can't link it because it got deleted. But you're still going to reference it as fact. It was, God, so stupid. Just like so we've, stupid. We even had our, our good friends over at the Longhorn Republic that they're a part of Burn, 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 Burnt Orange Nation. Uh, uh, Gerald and Kyle, they do an awesome job on that podcast. They even had to come out and like quote tweet it and be like, dude, this is like an abhorrent usage of like, you're a journalist you know so much way so much better and this is not it like this is garbage and like like they're like i'm defending an ou player right now and you know this is so bad it's so ridiculous yeah uh but i thought for sure that was going to be one of those like conglomerate posts where it just says like deadspin staff as the author yeah i was stunned when there was somebody's name on it i was yeah me i was i was like you're putting your i was like you put this on the internet for everybody to see yeah (laughs) <laughs> with your name on it <laughs> no, no shot i thought that was for sure just gonna be like a generic deadspin post and i was like oh no here we go and oh then, my yeah, god him coming out and tweeting after me like oh i hit a bone and you know yeah, no no you didn't I mean like bone. i mean like we we did talk about deadspin beginning as a as a kind of like a joke site so kind of makes yeah. sense as far oh, as that article goes touche touche yeah all the way back around but this team uh has been going full pads since wednesday since since yesterday Brent mentioned rugby field today, man. Rugby rugby fields, rugby fields. And they were finally making it to have some fun, which we all know what that really means. He also noted, I I believe today, um, of course, it's the last 11 days until classes in session. So these are going to be some of the most demanding physically and mentally practices that this team is going to really, really endure going into the finality of all right let's get into week game mode let's get into practice mode like who are my ones who are my twos who are my threes and scout um and some notable guys have been really sticking out specifically after you know the the manifestation of one off season with jerry schmidt jalen redmond danny stutzman david aguebu who looks leaner but is still powerful which is really nice to see like I'm curious at times when we're going to see two inside linebackers and Stutzman and Aguebu push each other, but there's been nonstop talk and it's the, it's the same, I guess like hyphenated word. If you want to say I've seen on every single site and we've even talked about it on the podcast buy-in. There is a crap ton of buy-in for this Oklahoma Sooners team. Ultimately, what kind of attributes or things come of buy-in? What 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 are the what what are byproducts of that? Yeah, I think specifically for this group. Um, so like I, I I never played college athletics, right? Like I played high school sports, so we lifted, but not quite in the same way. Um, I, so I didn't know. Like, okay, so you're going from a guy who was doing yoga and kettlebells, right? And and CrossFit and all that stuff, which is great for like my dad, but maybe not the best for a Division One football team. To a guy who is like as hard nosed and as get to the grindstone weight room as it gets. So, like, what is that? What does the difference look like? And at least for me, when I look at those photos and I look at those guys in person, what jumps out is their arms look the exact same. Like they were, they were, they were sculpting the pretty muscles last year. There's no doubt about that. They look good in their sleeveless shirts. But bro, from like upper peck down. Totally different humans. Billy Bowman's calf is the size of what his thigh was last year. 
I'm not kidding. No, like, Brent, Brent like came out and said, Brent came out and said, he's like, hey, they're starting to look the Oklahoma part. We yeah, just got to get like, him to play like that. You, uh, Eddie Radosovich put out a photo of, of Billy Bowman from last year return, like lining up to return a kick and then just uh, practice today. And I'm telling you, his thigh from last year is the same size as, as his calf this year. They are so much. Ooh, those stairs. They are so much better built from like the foundation up. So like. Are they like biceps huge? Like, uh, you know, like all those like goofy photos from the Baylor guys a few years ago? No, but like they are so much more sound, so much more strong uh, just from their kind of their core to the floor. And so I think that stuff is going to be make a massive, massive difference along places that frankly OU has struggled over the past few years. Like I think the offensive line could be like the big X factor. Obviously defensive tackles are somewhere that Oklahoma in the past has been wishy-washy hold, hold up, on. Hold up. You're telling me that when I'm going to the gym, I shouldn't just work out my upper body and I should, you should not I, just curl. I, I, sh- I should do leg day too. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. I, I would recommend not just doing lunges and bicep curls. If I was oh, going to, if crap. I was going to be, if I was going to be telling you to train, but you know, you're, sc- you're scrapping my 30 minute workout. I, know. I have to I'm text sorry. like 20 minutes in between. <laughs> Don't forget the yoga and the yoga mats. Afterwards. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I mean, so again, like they are just, they are built way more sound. And so, like, is that going to translate to immediate wins? Everybody in the fan base thinks so. I'm telling you, like, if I had, I mean, I would wager that's going to be the biggest difference for from last year to this year. But, you know, it, it could be a little bit longer of a process, right? Schmidt had basically, you know, eight weeks to to, to uh, redo or undo or however you want to frame it, uh, the previous, you know, strength and conditioning program. So, we'll see. But, like, uh, you just can look at the photos, man. And, and you can say, like, well, what is the difference? What is what is buy-in uh, to that process look look like and what does that add well i mean it adds to you know core you know it adds to adds to the guys thighs and stuff like that so i mean there's gonna be a lot more powerful they are and and what i saw from it as far as buy-in was we talked about it and we took and we talked about on the podcast that it we felt like it was almost an an, inevitable that jerry schmidt runs off one two three players every single year between yeah. uh, winter workouts and summer workouts, and that has not been that's that's not been the case this year. And we're like, oh, okay. And then you know, like you hear, like you can hear them actually on campus. <laughs> like when you're just walking on campus, you can actually hear them more audibly, like because the pads are popping so much. Of course, like you know, you have your security around in the big bushes and yada, yada, but like you can hear the whistles, the barking, like it's, it, it's just, it's just different. Yeah. It, it's just different. Um, it's far more physical uh, to the point where, I mean, like Jalen Redmond is going to come out of this thing looking really, really good. Uh, people are priming him and hyping him up for a really big breakout season as if he already doesn't, already doesn't have a status as being labeled as probably the best player on the defensive line. Um, and one of the best players on the defense already. Yeah. And he's a little bit dinged up. He got a concussion. Um, he, as far as uh, what Brad Venables said today, but one of the biggest gripes I remember from when Jerry Schmidt was leaving OU and then Oklahoma got a CrossFit guy that won a reality show was mid-season injuries because of overtraining and practices and strength and conditioning programs being a little bit um, archaic in thought. Of course, Jerry Schmidt's grown since then and, and stuff like that. Sure. Um, does, if you start to see, not necessarily a pattern, but injuries to key guys here and there, like a concussion or a guy like like he's, you know, like, uh, hyper extended something or to whatever nature that, or maybe there's a slight tear in soft tissue. Is that Jerry Schmidt narrative thing going to pop back up in your, in people's minds? Does that concern? Does it, is that of any concern? Um, I, I don't think for Brent, uh, I don't think Brent, I, I, I like, I'll tell you this. The last coaching staff, I'm very positive, really cared what you and I thought this one does not uh, in the slightest, which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like for the fans, uh, or people who followed obviously Schmitty the first go around. Sure. I, I think there's probably a section of the fan base that is almost waiting like, well, we're all very excited about Jerry Smith, but let's get to week seven. 
right? right. And like, yeah. watch this thing, watch this thing, just the, the wheels fall off. Maybe it gets there. I think, I think Schmitty's obviously shown his time in Texas A&M that whatever process made him so good before he's only gotten better at. So it'll be okay. But like, yeah, that narrative is going to be there. And like, so, like people need to realize like the injury stuff, man, it's, it's so, so random. Uh, but we've gotten so much better at it. If you just look at, like numbers of of injuries per season and stuff like that in college sports, it's gone down pretty significantly. Yeah, yeah, it's just got we've just gotten a lot better at it. So concussions are freak things, by the way. Brent calling it a um, a mild concussion. I thought that was a yes or no answer. Do you have a concussion or do you not have a concussion? <laughs> yeah, it's him calling mild. it him calling it mild was like very nineteen ninety nine OU football. Uh, uh, you know, he, he, you know, looking at the light hurts him. Yeah, he's like, how, how dizzy are you on a scale of one to ten? Ten being severe, three being a mild concussion. I'm a mild chair. Concussion guy. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> not sure. Yeah, he said that. I was like, oh, Brett, you can't say mild concussion. Um, but yeah, so like those those are just gonna happen. Soft tissue injuries are just gonna happen. Soft tissue injuries are always a, a reps thing, not a mm-hmm. not a intensity thing too. So like you know, Schmitty, they, I mean these practices, at least talking to like guys like Gabe Eichert, they're way shorter than they were you know, last time he was around. So mm-hmm. I'm sure the intensity is very high, which, you know, the players alluded to a bunch, but it seems like the, uh, the total amount of reps and stuff like that might've dropped, which, uh, which would lead towards uh, kind of development of what we know now about how to train as a football team. And and that's the fair thing, right? Is that Schmidt Schmidt was pretty much like, just like asked to leave basically uh, mm. because he was not going to be retained. And then you saw what success he had at A&M and then uh, you start to see, because I asked a few AM guys, I'm like, hey, what is it? What are the Aggies' view? And it was weird to reach out to AM people in a positive manner because, like, I absolutely loathe them. Um, but, <laughs> but I was like, ask, I was like, hey, what do you think? What's, what's your opinion in the fan base's opinion on Jerry Schmidt if they really have one? Because, like, Oklahoma fans have a really big opinion on Jerry Schmidt one way or the other. But after they saw the Joe Moore Award offensive line winners, become what they were last year we just want to know and a, a lot of the AM folks were like yeah he has made them more physical they're faster at the point of attack they're hard, more hard nosed more disciplined and that's one of my big that that's the biggest thing i took away is like i expect them to be chiseled i expect them to be stronger i expect them um to be uh what would i say more cerebral in how they approach the game more, more intense, as you said earlier, but I would also expect them to be way more disciplined. I mean, nothing like getting a, getting a, an update in the middle of the week that so-and-so is out for this week's game because they tripped doing stairs, stadium steps because they hurt their knee. Right. I mean, like that's happened several times in the past. I mean, like, I don't want to make it seem like it's been like a weekly occurrence, but it's happened several times in the last 20 years. I mean, like the guy's been around for a long time. Um, And so it's just one of those things, but I don't think it'll be a big deal at all. Um, Going on. Good with the bad, right? Everything good and bad. It's it's that thing. You have to. I mean, like you go back and look at how physical those teams were for Oklahoma. They teams did not want to go north and south. And then when they tried to go east and west, Oklahoma had so much speed on the edges that that wasn't an issue for them either. And you throw in all the disguised blitzes and yada yeah. yada. I mean, like everything went to hell. Like for for opposing offensive lines, like their their thinking process was: if we can avoid this pressure that is looked like it's about to come, then we might get the playoff. Uh, right. Of course, you know people got angry because they felt like it towards the end of Brent's tenure which at OU, which is when Oklahoma and the big 12 had no idea the advent of the spread was getting stupid. And so giving up 20 points should be normal, but they were still stuck in like this, this old mindset. It's just, those teams were just so physical and uh, it's just incredible. And so players that Brent Venables in particular, because I know Venables, He's going to be the head coach. He's going to be the guy that's overseeing the game. Um, he's going to be definitely overseeing the defense a little bit more, obviously. And in practice, he is definitely gravitating more towards the linebackers than anybody else. I mean, I, I think that any of us, once Brett Venables was named a hire, could have assumed pretty much all of what I had just said. And I think a lot of people understand that at the Will, Will linebacker spot, uh, it will be Deshaun White at the mic. Danny Stutzman and David Aguebu are really 
working out for that spot and at times probably will be on the field together. But at the Sam spot, the strong side linebacker on a two deep, if I threw out the one being Shane Witter, just because he has experience, he's got a lot of experience too. Um, and his two and his backup and the guy pushing him being Jaron Canick. Chisholm by week 10. Do you think Shane Witter's still that starting spot? That's tough. Uh, do you know what happened with the cheetah? Cause I, I like the cheetah position or the nickel corner, whatever you want to call it. Like Jared Kanak has, has been running there too. And so like my big question I'm asking everyone all the time, which is, Hey, who is the cheetah? And I I've gotten Justin Broyles. I've gotten connect. Uh, I've gotten Trey Morrison. I've got a bunch of different, it, it, not a bunch of just different names, but like a bunch of different body types, right? Like, it, is, it doesn't seem like there's one like guy right now as far as a type of player they've kind of siloed in there. But so anyway, to your question, if Kanek is out there doing like an Isaiah Simmons impersonation, like a bad one, but doing an Isaiah Simmons impersonation mm-hmm. from that cheetah position, then then Witter's probably in there still. Uh, but if it looks like Trey Morrison or if uh, Justin Broyles, you know, snags that nickel corner spot, then I, I think they want to try to get Kanek on the field. I mean, he was out there for the first snap at the cheetah position at the spring mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. you know? And so like true freshman spring game, First team defense, like, you know, there's 12-ish starters technically on this yep. defense because of the extra positions. But like, you know, that that's that's no that's no small statement. That's no small statement in the kid's first scrimmage in, in, when he's been on campus for that time, like four weeks to put him out there it, with that. Like they obviously think highly of him, uh, you know. And so, yeah, I, I think Kanek is going to be 100 percent a starter by like, I would say, conference play. Uh, it just depends on where. I'm so glad you brought up the idea that, you know, he, was he a cheetah? I was watching early 2000s Oklahoma defense stuff the other day, um, just like play-by-play stuff, and especially in the early 2000s. And at one point early in the seasons, they, they named Roy Williams as a safety. And then as the season went on, specifically in the national title game, in, against Florida State, they labeled him as a linebacker, which I thought was so interesting because they didn't know where to place him because right. he was one of those tweener guys, just like the edges uh, that they're now starting to rank properly. And so Kanik is, I think, a kind of guy that, like, to your point, you know, they could legit run maybe a 4-3 out there with Kanik at strong, maybe not this year, right, as a, fr- yeah. as a true freshman successfully. Uh, he would definitely take some bumps and bruises along the way as far as learning curves. But I think he could realistically be a guy that could keep you in a base four three and, you know, hold his own as, yeah. as, as, as well as in a, in a Brent Venables defense. And so to your point, I knew as soon as I saw stuff from him, uh, tape out of high school. And then uh, what I'm, what, what I hear out of camp and out of practice, I was like, there's no way this guy is playing less or fewer than four games in a lot. Of, and honestly, it feels like if he would be a backup to somebody, he would be pushing for a starting in playing time a lot more. Like yeah. you said, in the middle of conference play, I'd be very surprised like that. That's a guy that's going to get a lot of snaps. Yeah. And just a guy who like, obviously is like all in on the Brent Venables experience. Like obviously, you know, famous oh, story yeah. about him committed to Clemson, uh, Brent takes the job. He tries to decommit to Clemson. Brent tells him, "No, you're staying at Clemson." He's uh, married to Clemson. Yeah, yeah. Like like he married. He's he he is all the way married. And so Brent continues to tell this kid no. Tells him he doesn't have a roster spot. He doesn't have a signing spot for him. You know, he's not going to come to Oklahoma until eventually. You know, Dabo kind of steps in and you know says, "You know, it, we're going to be okay." Uh, which Clemson will be okay without Jim yeah, Kennedy. Yeah. Uh, but like that just tells you like how committed he is to playing for Brent Venables this style of play, this scheme, like that is exactly what this kid wanted. And you have to give him credit, man. He nailed it. Like as far as like his personal evaluation of like, where can I succeed? He nailed the coach in the scheme. I, I think he's going to have a big time opportunity. And so true freshman goes, he's like the only one, like I'm just a hundred percent banking on like, Oh, that kid's going to play a bunch. It feels like he might be the biggest signing for this class, this past class that Oklahoma just brought in or one of the biggest game yeah. changers. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think. Probably. I mean, the only other one, uh, the, the Gavin Sawchuk kid. I, I mean, that kid, could be a, that kid could be like a, a Ness home run bat or, I you mean, know. A, just Christian a, you know, McCaffrey's just... own dad, that coach Christian McCaffrey was like, yeah, he's 
pretty much as good as my son. <laughs> he, uh, he he's going to be something. I don't know if he's just going to end up being a third down back, but he's got he's got special, 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 special written on him. So I'll be interested to see where that goes. Speed to. for days, speed oh, yeah. for days, cuts for days. All right, man. We are at our last two segments. I'm gonna, we're going to go with things that give you pause. So things that maybe you're a little bit hesitant, you know, with game, you know, game week, UTEP's three weeks. Yeah. Um, and then some things that you're, you're getting some good vibes about. So let's start with the pause. What, what is at least one thing that gives you pause regarding this team going into the fall and going at actually playing in week one, as far as like, uh, no, I'm not so sure about this. I, I think the big story for me that I have, uh, been begging for somebody to answer me is why is DJ Graham not a lock to start? Uh, cause going into, going into camp, going in spring, like Woody Washington, DJ Graham, right? Oh, who's going to be the safeties? Cause they brought mm-hmm. in all these secondary members from the transfer portal. Who are going to be the safeties? Who are going to be the safeties? It almost felt assumed, right? Yeah. Like, so like, okay. So we know the outside corners, who, who's the nickel, who are the two safeties. Well, we know the safeties almost immediately. And I assume DJ Graham was also kind of locked in. And then we start hearing that's not the case. It's an open competition opposite of Woody. That could mean one of two things, obviously, right? Uh, in the words of uh, Tony Kohnheiser, everything's a 50-50 proposition. Either A, DJ is really struggling, and so that has opened up an opportunity for somebody else, or B, everybody behind him is really good. Um, so I don't know which one it is. Uh, I can't get a straight answer out of anybody on which one it is. Um, but I, I think that could be something to watch, is if they, you know, Big 12, Big 12 offenses specifically, if they know, hey, we've got a, a weak corner over here, right or someone who's playing out of position or someone who's playing well they'll pick on them uh and so if you show an achilles heel people will know about it so the fact that dj just isn't a starter after everything he did last year Mm -hmm. which was an up and down season uh but with all the experience he's bringing in for him to be in such an open competition with uh you know frankly guys who i just don't think are as talented as him i don't know you can read that a bunch of ways yeah oh my gosh we you've heard several names been in competition with them like a long, yes. it, like there was DJ Can I, Colden, Can I Walker, yeah, DJ Can I Colden, Walker. yeah. Uh, the Colden kid, I, I, Jayden I Travis, sneaky love. No, not Jaden Travis, uh, Jaden Davis, Jaden Davis. Why, why did I say yeah. Jaden Travis? But Jaden Davis for a minute, like I was like, what, what is going on? What, what yeah. has happened here? And it's so, yeah. like that's a great point. Uh, I, I've been thinking the same thing. I was like, what, what is going on? Yeah. Um, I'm and, hoping it's because CJ Colden is built like, like a stereotypical NFL corner. Mm-hmm. You know, his problem is athleticism. I'm just hoping that he is so technically sound that everyone's like, oh, wait, do we actually need to start this kid? I'm hoping that's what it is. Otherwise, like, again, could be praying that all like all Mountain West conference, like all Mountain West second conference is good in that Wyoming <laughs> defense was OK. You know, yeah. it's like one of those things. Yeah. Um, What something that gives me pause, man. And I was just talking about this Um like a few uh, before we started podcasting to some other group of people that what gives me pause is the defensive line on paper should be relatively okay. You have Jeffrey Johnson, Jalen Redmond in the middle. You Reggie Grimes, you got eighth and downs. Uh, I'm not particularly worried really much at all about Jeffrey jeffrey johnson or jalen redmond those defensive ends give me a little bit pause schmidt can only build so much over one offseason um and you can really only turn it on if you really 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 have it i mean we know ethan downs wants to go at 100 miles an hour we know he has a very high motor but can he twist his hips around and really get past that defensive end? Or can he swim past him on the inside? I don't know. I haven't seen that. And so it's like really proving that. Because we know what Jalen Redmond can do. You got to see J- you got to see Jeffrey Johnson last year. Um, and like that was it. And of course, Oklahoma offensive line was already not great. And then you add in a, an experienced defensive tackle that's a nose tackle that really messed up a lot of plans inside. And which happened to be Jeffrey Johnson. And so my issue is, or things that give me pause are the defensive ends. Does that, does that, is that fair? I feel like. Uh, yeah. So I, I would, first off that I would have told you the exact same thing. The one thing I will tell what they, I'm not worried about is Ethan downs. And this is going to sound really stupid, but it's for one reason. 
they would not have sent him to Big 12 Media Day if he was not ready. And I don't mean like to answer questions or to be a face of the you know the program. You don't mean, I mean he wasn't just an ambassador of the program? They're not sending a guy up there who's a dud. Like you, you, We've all heard Brent Venables talk. That guy's not sending up a, a, a football mascot to answer questions, right? He's sending a guy who's a football player. And so him getting that nod, frankly, when nobody saw it coming, I, I assumed it was going to be Deshaun White. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Ethan Downs takes that as a true sophomore, I, I'm going to take that as a nod of like, yeah, this kid's going to play a lot and he's going to be really good. And so everybody strap in. Now, you, the other, you know, other defensive end, uh, I, I, I would agree with you. There's just a bunch of names that obviously could be involved in there. Marcus Stripling, Braden Walker, yeah, uh, Reggie Grimes, and then the Jonah Lalua kid. Yep. You know, total wild card, right? And so the 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 thing is, is that they have one defensive end who I know I like uh, in Ethan Downs. Um, and then they've got like five guys for like three rotation spots. You just got to hope you hit right. And, and one of these transfers works, Reggie Grimes develops in this off season, uh, you know, and, and stripling, you know, takes a step forward that he just frankly has struggled to find over the past couple of years. So like three of those five guys need to work out, uh, for that defensive, that defensive end rotation to really, to make a bunch of sense. I was Highly, I, I knew it wouldn't happen, but I was highly disappointed that Danny Stutzman was not a big toe media days because everybody would have been crowded around his booth. Yeah, uh, just I think that's probably quote. why he wasn't there. I think that probably was why he just wasn't for, for there. the dumbest quotes and for the most yeah. like the the, mo- the most fun interactions. Um, all right, let's shift gears. What's something that's giving you good vibes in something that you're you're saying? All right, okay, I can get on board with this team heading into fall. Uh, I think it's something that we actually talked about last time I was on this podcast. Um, I was interested to see what the strategy was going to be. Oklahoma for the past four years has played the safety position about as safe as you can. Guys who really knew the defense, guys who knew where they're supposed to be. Uh, but I, I think it's fair to say not like play creators. Um, they're going 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Key Lawrence and, and Billy Bowman are explosive, big time, major athletes. And, Key Lawrence is a walking turnover. Billy Bowman played every position on the field in high school. Like they are putting back the two most big time athlete explosive guys they have on the back end. And they're both playing this and they're both playing safety. I love that. Uh, and I think that is exactly how you should play football, right? Woody Washington and CJ Colden, Woody Washington, DJ Graham. They're the guys who are trying to blanket on top of people. You know, Justin Harrington's playing uh, nickel, which sounds like a possibility all of a sudden, mm-hmm. which is wild. You know, <laughs> like those guys are the, can't make a mistake, can't can't be somewhere I'm not supposed to be, got to be on top of the guy I'm supposed to be covering or in the zone I'm supposed to be in. The guys in the back end, give me the football. And, like, Oklahoma did not do that at safety mm-hmm. these past few years. And they're ta- they're bringing in two guys who I'm just are very confident. Like, could they get burned for an 80-yard touchdown against Kansas State? Sure. But they could also come up with a lot of balls over the course of the season. I, I think it's the right call. I-, I think on the back end, you've always got to have guys who are aggressive and playmakers. And I, I think Oklahoma's finally going that direction after a few years of just, you know, praying some guy doesn't rotate wrong. And and that was that was like the live or die Venables kind of thing. That was that was what people that was what ran Venables out of town was people didn't know the Big Twelve was on the was on the precipice of like this offensive revolution that nobody was doing at the time. Yeah. And giving so many more possessions to the other to the opposing offense by forcing turnovers, by being aggressive on defense. It's like, oh, I was aggressive on defense, and I gave up uh, an an extra touchdown, like on a sixty-five yard bomb, despite the fact that they got seven more possessions than they normally do. Like, right. what 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 else are we expecting here? Also, do you ever think that Billy Bowman, in the back of his mind, has the thought creep up that? His significant other, uh, most notably uh, the outfield, the center fielder Jada Coleman, yeah. is a two-time national cha- champion and is amazing and has silhouettes of her everywhere. And I'm actually wearing like her yeah. shirt right now. Like, do you ever think that that creeps in the back of his mind that she walked onto campus and is the one holding both rings? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, whenever we uh, we talked to Billy about this a little bit, and he basically hit us with the, well, I'm the better athlete. And I was like, well, that's just a nice way of saying, like, she's won a lot more than I have. <laughs> you know like, what I mean? Like, if you're just immediately, oh, I could beat her in a foot race. Well, of course you can, but she's won a ton. 
a ton. Billy. We, to we've said plenty of times. We've said plenty of times. If Billy Bowman does not break out the season, he's become, he's going to be relegated to the name of Jada Coleman's boy, uh, Jada Coleman's boyfriend instead oh, yeah. of being named Billy Bowman. But I mean, I was have I was having a discussion earlier, like what is the best position group on this defense? I mean, linebackers, you feel really I feel really good about where they are with Deshaun White, David Aguayabu, Danny Stutzman. I feel really good. How can you not feel really good about the secondary? You just have to wonder about the learning curve about Brent's defense. Yeah. Um, you know, there's the I'm sure they'll simplify it for the first year as a kind of a uh, bridging that gap a little bit. Uh the defensive line, like you said. Uh, you know, you feel pretty confident in Ethan Downs. I feel really confident in the interior. It's just that kind of mystery spot, especially, you know, they're going to run edges out there too. So it's not like you're going to have two defensive ends, legitimate defensive ends on the yeah. field at the same time. And not to pile on, but I think one easy thing too, that I maybe the reason I'm not so worried about the defensive line pass rush is we're going from a scheme where it was, okay, beat the guy in front of you to a, a scheme where Brent is, go- Brent is going to, scheme up a sack and a half in game. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just baked in. Like he, he's going to beat the offense in some way, right? He's going to send pressure from somewhere. They're not coming. He's going to do a, a stunt or a twist just at the right side. Like they didn't do any of that last year, right? They, they were yep. never trying to scheme open a sack ever. It was all about one-on-one football up front. Brent, Brent is going to take care of some of maybe the pass rush needs just by the fact that he's really freaking good at what he does. Yeah. Like Brent is going, is still going a hundred miles an hour, but also giving you several different looks and confusing the hell out of the quarterback and, <laughs> and being physical as hell. And, and then you've, you've seen it in several different places, but I mean, like my goodness. So the, something that's given me good vibes is I'm not necessarily saying the edges of the offensive line, but I feel pretty okay with Oklahoma's interior of their offensive line. I feel really good about Andrew Rain being there. I feel really good good about the tower being there. I feel really good about Savion Bird and Chris Murray, and, yeah. and Chris Murray uh, you know, really, really battling for the next two weeks over who's really going to get that job. I mean, I'm curious about who the t- t- the tackles are going to be, um, and I think part of the, that's part of the reason, obviously, why they brought brought in um, the kid, the kid Daniel. Uh, why am I forgetting names from Missouri? The tight end. Oh yeah, the blocking tight end. Yeah, yeah. Truthfully, I've not committed his name. Daniel to Daniel Parker. That's Daniel what it Parker. Is. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but that I think is a huge reason why they brought him in, especially for chip blocks on the edge too. I mean, sure. I, it just makes he he's not a guy that catches passes. I think he caught like a total of three passes in his entire career in Mizzou, and he only has one year of eligibility left. It's not very many, like twenty two yards. Right. Um. But something that gives me good vibes is the interior of this offensive line. If they can get at least one of those tackle spots nailed down, you don't like it. You don't like Anton Harrison, Wanya Morris. That doesn't do it for you. I thought Wanya Morris was going to do it for me in the first year, but everything just went like everything just went bad. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line just went had, bad. But yeah, again, we yet you have to consider. Um, I mean, again, like there is a noticeable drop off just getting out of your just getting out of the stance from the offensive line from when Benny Wiley was their strength and conditioning coach to when Jerry Schmidt was there's just noticeable difference if you just look at offensive line play getting it down your stance flipping your hips going the right direction etc like it's just so different just the quickness of it in the the quick twitch ability to do that and I I really like Wanya Morris. I wanted to be really good. I thought he was going to be, you know, he was SEC all freshman team left tackle. Yeah. Um, I think he probably plays that right tackle, which might be his more natural position. Um, Anton Harrison. I really liked him uh, for a while. And I was like, why? I, <laughs> I wondered why Eric Swenson played so many snaps for like the last Feel, it feels like four years of five, seven years of my life. Why Eric Swenson's playing that many snaps in the field. Sure. Um, and so it's just, it's a lot of things, but I feel really comfortable with that interior, which is going to do Dylan Gabriel pretty well, which is going to do that run game pretty well. Um, and I'm, I'm genuinely pretty excited about that. Um, what do you think? Do you think 
Do you think that are you do you feel more confident in the tackles than I am? Uh Anton Harrison, I feel good about. Um, I would say I think he's gonna be pretty sturdy. I don't know if like uh you know, like uh traditional OU left tackle top ten pick good, mm-hmm. but just a, a good left tackle. Wanya Morris is like uh is like candy for me, man. I just can't quit it. Like coming out of Tennessee, his tape was so good. Yeah. So good. And then last year, like, I mean, he talks about it. He, I mean, it was a disaster. He got behind academically, and then so he had, he, you know, he wasn't eligible for most of fall camp and then mm-hmm. kind of came in late, and, like, his his body just wasn't where it was should should be, and, and he took responsibility for that. He said he didn't handle the transfer from Tennessee to Oklahoma well in the uh, the time in between. Uh, and so he just never got off on the right foot and said he's gro- done a lot of growing up over the past year because he assumed he was going to come in and play and didn't and, and knew he needed to fix some things. So that's all just words, right? Like mm-hmm. those are all just words. Yeah. Uh, but if that's true, then, I mean, you could have a monster on your hands. And so uh, I would say there's a ton of upside uh, with Wanya, but still a little bit of a wild card, but Harrison, I feel good about it. I thought he played okay last year. He dealt with injuries. So yeah. if, if that stuff continues to pop back up, then, you know, maybe you don't feel so good if he's only playing 60% of the snaps, but if he stays healthy, I, I like him out there. And especially with, again, the guy that, they are most with everybody. The entire team is most with the entire year strength conditioning staff. And one of the major things they preach is accountability for one's own actions and intentionality of those things. And I think that's going to really pay off for the offensive line. Oklahoma's had so many stupid, really, really, really dumb penalties that could have just been avoided by simply being disciplined as a player. Um, Like between, gosh, like it's just like the stupid 15 yard penalties after the fact, this, the stupid false starts, the stupid, you know, like things that, that, that were so unnecessary after the play, even, and just like killing a play that you might have just had. And so I think the accountability factor there too is going to be really big for them. I'm excited. I think the offensive line's on the come up. I'm I'm kind of buying more stock into that. And if the offensive line is on the come up and you feel relatively good about the defensive line, that can mean good things for Oklahoma in the future, uh, sure. especially with what the conference has and <laughs> what what the conference really it lost this last year, especially Oklahoma. I mean, people act like they lost a ton of people. Yeah, they lost some. And of course you lost your most mega talented superstar. Right. And you could say either quarterback, if you wanted to, I don't even like Latrell McCutcheon that much, man. Calm down. It was fun having the Friday night Tykes guy, but it was a shame that he never changed as a player from Friday night Tykes to USC. I thought that was disappointing. The maturity. Yeah. Um, But, 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 with that being, I think Oklahoma could realistically have a successful Big 12 campaign and a really successful season. Like to you, what is what 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 does success look like to you? Because we're not we're not going to do like bets tonight or say, hey, this is what I think they're going to go this year. This is what I think they're really yeah. going to end up. But what a success for this season have to look like for Brent Venables? Uh, probably playing the Big 12 championship game uh, would be pretty good. Uh, you know, like the, the quarterback leaving, uh, the wide receiver leaving the corner, leaving all to USC. I, I frankly, the bigger loss, is obviously all the defensive linemen going to the NFL, right? Like mm-hmm. the guys who got drafted in the second, third round. Uh, and so like, that's a bigger loss. And so he's taking over a program that was built a different way by a different man. And that transition is going to take some time. If they're playing the conference championship game, I think that's pretty good. Uh, I think OU fans will tell you they want them to win that game. You know, we'll see what Baylor and Oklahoma state look like, yeah. but they, I mean, they should be competing for the cha- They should be competing for the conference. Uh, it should be close. Like they should win every game pretty comfortably outside of, uh, you know, what Oklahoma State and Baylor are, and, and yeah. they could be a lot better than them. They have still, I mean, with even with the guys they've lost, they have still recruited better than eight other teams in the Big Twelve. The only other yeah. team is Texas, and Texas that recruits OU every year because they're Texas. And oh, you sure. just does it better. I mean, that's just that's just the facts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's all. That's all I got. Do you have anything else left to say, Chisholm? I don't think so. I think that covers it. We got a little bit more time before the season starts. Yeah, we certainly do. And I'm not gonna say anything that will jinx anything. Um, but hey, guys, go ahead and follow us on CrimsonandCrimmachine.com, and follow us on Twitter at CC Machine. You can follow Jack at Jailery Shields. You can follow me at Cameron Robin CCM. 
You can follow Chisholm at Chisholm Holland. It's actually really simple. It's his it's his name, Chisholm Holland. You know, you can even just listen to the guy on the airwaves all the time on the franchise. And you can follow Steven at OUPDATESB. Um, we'll put the Discord link in the bio, guys. And thank you for listening and continuing to support the podcast. Give us five stars. It just makes us more visible to others. And thanks for listening. Check you guys later.